Welcome to California Ballot Breakdown from KPFA, where we take you through the stakes of what's on your ballot, the money behind the campaigns, give everyone enough time to make their best argument, and then try to get them off their talking points. On today's special. With, you know, contributions and support with folks all over this nation, we, we closed a 35-point gap. And obviously, we also didn't have um, universal mail-in ballot in, 20, uh, in 2018. We'll speak to Phil Arbio, who wants to send Republican Devin Nunes back to Fresno. We'll talk about not just his agenda, but also his theory of what it takes to contest for Republican seats in fairly red congressional districts. Stay tuned. So up till this point, the candidate interviews that we've brought you are Democrats contesting with Democrats for seats in the state legislature. And we do this because uh, sometimes the differences are subtle if you don't have a lot of time, but they have big consequences in terms of what laws hit the books in California, where Democrats enjoy a supermajority in both chambers of the legislature. And also, I I think you can take these as kind of microcosms of the, the struggles playing out across the country over the direction of the party. For instance, the the first pair of interviews we did were the two people contesting for the state Senate seat representing San Francisco. Now, this seat, uh, regardless of who has been in it for several decades, uh, has always been represented by someone who is on the left flank of lawmaking in Sacramento. So you, you can think of the struggle for who sits in that seat as being a struggle over how far left the left flank of mainstream politics is and also what issues define the left within state lawmaking. Wanted to go to the other end of the spectrum. In in a lot of the places where the Democratic Party is looking to pick up seats in state houses or expand its majority in Congress, there are kind of two different theories about how to go about that. And one is that you run for those seats with kind of fiery populist politics that would draw people into the electorate who had felt disengaged before. Um, And, you know, in the 2018 midterms, there were a handful of people running on that theory who who knocked Republicans out of state house seats in in that election. Um, When it comes to Congress, however, a great deal of the Democrats who unseated Republicans in the 2018 wave election were people who identify as moderates, whose theory of the campaign was that you chase swing votes, uh, you try to persuade by positioning yourself as the more reasonable alternative to a party that is now personified by Donald Trump. So I wanted to highlight one of the candidates who is looking to flip a, a high-profile Republican congressional seat in California to talk to him, you know, not just about what he would do while he's in office. Um, for, for a lot of you in the Core Bay Area, it probably sounds pretty tame by the standards of local politics, but also about his theory uh, of what it takes to flip a very red district. Also want to uh, flip a, a kind of recurrent dynamic in coverage, which is that, um, you know, if progressives run insurgent campaigns and capture a lot of media attention, they're continually asked how they're going to work with moderates in the party. Um, We wanted to take someone who's running as a moderate, ask him how he's going to work with progressives. Because um, all the age-based polling we've seen indicates the 
direction of the party's base uh, is definitely headed steadily and inexorably left. In any case, here's the interview. Continuing our California ballot breakdown, we're going to turn to one of the House seats that's in play. California's 22nd congressional district straddles parts of Fresno and Tulare counties. A few short years ago, it seemed like a very safe Republican seat. In 2016, the incumbent won by a margin of 35 points. But that incumbent was Devin Nunes. As chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Nunes swiftly earned the reputation of someone who was running interference for the Trump administration rather than running oversight of it. Efforts to oust him started drawing strong candidates and lots of donations from across the country. And two years ago, he went from winning by 35 points to winning by just five. Now we're going to speak to the Democrat who's trying to figure out how to close that five-point gap by Election Day. Phil Arbio, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be here. Uh, I should mention for our listeners, uh, we, we did, of course, offer Mr. Nunes' campaign the opportunity for an interview of their own. Uh, they have not taken us up on it. Um, since you're a, a newcomer to national mm-hmm. politics, why don't you take a couple minutes to introduce yourself to our, our Fresno area audience? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I was raised right here in the Central Valley um, by my mother, a hardworking uh, single woman, uh, who is bilingual, she's Latina, and because of that, um, she took a job here in the Central Valley, brought brought us kids, and, and uh, was able to serve an underserved community in the Central Valley, uh, in, in, in this area in Fresno. And uh, I'm a graduate from Fresno State in our backyard, the first of my family to go to college and graduate, and I had to work full time to make that happen. Uh, currently, I have uh, I am raising uh, two young kids. I have a almost seven year old and a two year old, and my wife uh, is uh, at home right now uh, doing distance learning with our son and taking care of our daughter. She's also involved in this community uh, through education. She's also bilingual and doing a lot of Spanish uh, translation and, and teaching work here uh, in, in the district as well. And I'm also a Hispanic business owner, small business owner in financial services. I'm the chair of the uh, Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee in the city of Fresno, and I'm an active board member with our Central California Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. So I want to spend a couple minutes like talking about your theory of the race. Um, two years ago, we, we, we interviewed Andrew Jans, who's the last Democrat who took on Devin Nunes. And his profile was a lot like yours, right? Accomplished professional, moderate politics in the context of the Democratic Party. Uh, definitely riding a, a national wave of hatred directed at Devin Nunes, that wasn't quite enough to close the deal with voters. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you have to offer the 22nd district electorate that he did not? Look, what what Andrew uh, was able to do in in, in 2018 was um, pay, uh, you know, pave a way, you know, for where we're at we're at today. He was a great candidate, and he was able to bring a national spotlight to a, a small little district here in the Central Valley uh, because of uh, his opponent and our opponent, Devin Nunes. And with, you know, contributions and support with folks all over this nation, we, we closed a 35-point gap. And obviously, we also didn't have um, universal mail-in ballot in, 20, uh, in 2018. It was a midterm election, which, uh, you know, it doesn't, com- uh, doesn't have the same, you know, didn't seem like it had the same gravitas, if you want to say, as a, as a general election. 
but Andrew was able to make huge strides and, and it was the first time that, that anyone had ever done that. And it was always going to be hard to take out Devin the first time, but uh, we didn't want to sit back and, and, and waste that effort. And, uh, you know, I, I was a part of not only Andrew's campaign, but many local campaigns in 2018. And everybody saw that my profile, my background and my story was the type of, um, story that fits with the district and, and, and my candidacy is the best fit going forward uh, for a representative in this 22nd uh, congressional. And, uh, you know, I believe that uh, that margin is, is not only closing, but is uh, uh, we're going to go in and cross that finish line. So usually close congressional races, the margin for Democrats comes from get out the vote efforts, turnout efforts. Um, that gets complicated by by running in the midst of a pandemic. Like what what are you actually doing on the turnout level? Yeah, it is. It, it's definitely not something that I uh, was anticipating. I don't think anybody was anticipating. We thought we would have uh, a, a nice strong ground game, a get out the vote effort, of course. But you know, we've had to move our efforts in, in, in different ways. We have a lot of supporters around this country who are writing postcards for us that are being sent to, to, to voters in the district. Um, we have tons of volunteers. I think we have over 100 volunteers, 125 volunteers in this, uh, in our text banking and phone banking operation. And our, our interns are, are very dedicated as well. A lot of uh, college uh, you know, educated kids that are, that are uh, home because of this pandemic uh, that are from the Central Valley are really invested in this race uh, because it's it's so personal to them. So, you know, it, it is it is tough to reach out those voters and we, we can't be out there you know, knocking on the doors and introducing myself and, and I can't be doing any forums or any any type of uh, campaign events. But, you know, we I think being able to get my story out early and often uh, was something that I, that is able to uh, get us where we are right now, which is a very competitive district that's going to come down uh, probably to the last couple of weeks in November. And, you know, we're, we are projecting and I'm projecting that, you know, we'll be able to win this thing by a couple of hundred votes. So I think that that Jan's campaign in 2018 showed that there is a large anti-Nunez vote uh, that is almost half the electorate in your district. But like for the folks who aren't just reflexively anti-Nunez, what do you have to offer to get them excited in terms of your vision of what you'd be doing in Congress? Well, look, I'm not a, I'm not a career politician. I haven't been there for 18 years. Um, I'm not a millionaire uh, in this district. You know, I, th I think what the people of the 22nd uh, see in my campaign and, and why, you know, we, we believe we're going to be closing that gap and and, and, and push this thing over the finish line is because they, they see real representation in my campaign, right? Someone who grew up here had to work very hard uh, to, uh, to get through college and become the first in his family to go to college, opening up my own small business uh, to provide for my family and being a part of this community. My wife and I, we are committed and we are invested and we are present here. Uh, before my time running for Congress and during this time, and after my time running for Congress, I will always be a part of this community. You know, I know what it's like to have to work multiple jobs to, to get by, uh, not only to go to college, but to provide for my family. We know what it's like to, you know, to have uh, health concerns as well, not only during this pandemic, but before in the air quality here. I grew up with asthma. My son is growing up with asthma. And, um, 
we, I also know what it's like to, to grow up in a place where we don't have a lot of economic opportunity, but we're looking for our leaders, our elected leaders to, to, to help us, uh, to help us get there and bring that opportunity to the Central Valley. And I think that's the, the biggest difference between Devin and I is, is the type of work that I've put into to getting myself through college and the type of work I'm, I'm doing right now in this district. Um, unfortunately, we have a, a member of Congress who's abandoned us. Uh, he abandoned right. us. Right. So, Philip, I want to I want to yeah. talk about how that character translates into actual policy priorities if you make it to the to the House in the next session. Um, you're you're going to have a health crisis, a housing crisis, an environmental crisis blowing up on you, uh, and and a a lot of uh, institutional hangover from an era of vote suppression and gerrymandering to deal with as well. So, like, what would be your top policy priority area? The top pri- the top priority in this country right now is getting healthy, uh, making sure we beat this coronavirus and that our children are back in school by August of 2021. My family, you know, we understand what it's like to have to do distance learning. It's tough on a family. I have a, uh, a seven, almost seven year old who's in first grade and a two year old at home. And I know my wife while I'm campaigning, um, it's, it's, it's a fine line of, of monitoring what's going on in the classroom, but also trying to keep the two year old entertained enough to, to stay away from uh, where, where my son is studying. So, uh, you know, the, the health of the families in this country and in this district are what's more important uh, to us right now and how we combat this coronavirus, how we get over it and get our kids back uh, into the classrooms in 2021 uh, with, you know, low coronavirus rates and, and possibly a back vaccine by then. But that should be number one uh, in any new administration, whether it's the Trump or Biden administration. And I know as a member of Congress, that'll be, you know, my priority and my goal. Tons of people have lost their their health coverage uh, as a result of this. The Supreme Court could conceivably, as early as next month, uh, basically wipe out the Affordable Care Act. What do you want to do about getting people covered? Well, yeah, um, health care, uh, especially for you know for us here, is is a personal issue. Uh, in that, you know, my wife she she did lose her job. Fortunately, um, it was not a, a full-time position where they offered health care that still falls on, on on my end with the uh, having my small business and, and, and being able to provide our own health care but this pandemic has cost health care the access to health care to millions of people so you know we want to make sure that uh, we're, we're doing what we can to protect the pre-existing conditions and we want to expand um, you know Medicare and Medicaid and and add that and and, and look at a public option again uh, onto the Affordable Care Act. So uh, uh, quality and affordable health care is uh, more accessible to uh, millions of more Americans. And, and you know, our health care plan is, it was not perfect, but we actually have a plan. Uh, my opponent's plan is, is don't get sick. Uh, he's voted multiple times to take away health care from millions of Americans, and that's irresponsible and that's cruel. I'm curious what you think of, of the uh, progressive wing of your party's push for single payer, uh, mm-hmm. Medicare for all. I know it's not your platform. Um, mm-hmm. You just laid out what your platform is, public option, expanded mm-hmm. Medicare, Medi-Cal. Um, is it something you would vote against if your colleagues got it to a floor vote? Well, I think I'm, I think it's going to take a lot of work uh, to, to, to get a compromise where we're all comfortable with what it offers to our constituents. We don't want to be ripping health care away from, from anyone. Um, and, 
and we want to expand uh, how access to healthcare. What we're doing on our side of the aisle, um, while we do, you know, certain wings of the party have have uh, different issues and take on healthcare, we're at least talking about like how to expand and protect people. The other side of the aisle is not having that conversation. They're actually having the opposite conversation. How can we take away the access to healthcare to millions of more Americans? And and I think there's a great compromise uh, in the middle between uh, the Medicare for All uh, wing of our, our party and the public option uh, wing of our pod- party. And, and I, I, I hope to be part of those conversations and have a seat at the table uh, to work out a compromise. Oh, what about the the kind of democracy agenda? Um, I I think something the past couple of years has revealed is that like the basic structure of American democracy uh, is kind of rigged against representing the American people. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. folks on Capitol Hill now tossing around ideas for giving statehood to Washington D.C. Um, for creating a new version of the Voting Rights Act that would interrupt some of the the mm-hmm. state level vote suppression activity that's taken place where Republicans have power. Um, what do you think about those proposals? How big a priority would they be for you? Well, you know, I I think they're conversations worth having, but unfortunately, I think we're we're such in a state right now uh, with this pandemic that our our focus should really be on how to get through this. What's going on in Washington between Supreme Court nominees and talking about uh, statehood? Um, those are those are conversations we can have at a, at a later time. Uh, the most important thing that we do is, is have real representation, especially in this district. My district is 49% Latino. I am a Latino candidate. We've never had a, a member of Congress from the Central Valley between Sacramento and Santa Barbara County uh, who was Latino uh, as a member of Congress, so my my candidacy is is historic and it's lo- it's long overdue to have representation, and I, I believe in, in in making sure that every vote uh, is counted and every voice is heard, and and we need to make sure that uh, we're doing things in this election and and elections uh, thereafter to to secure the vote and to once again let people know that. You know their voice and their vote is secure, and it and it means something in our democracy today. Uh, we we talked about the the health coverage fallout from COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. The other crisis has been the the housing fallout. Mm-hmm. Uh, eviction rates are expected to skyrocket. We already had a crisis in housing affordability and availability here in California, including in your district. Uh, what mm-hmm. would you be trying to do about it from Washington D.C.? Well, the government, um, because of this pandemic, it, it owes it to the American people to, to work together to get new stimulus passed, um, more assistance into the hands of, of, of the American people. This administration has botched this response from the very beginning. My representative has been uh, pretty much radio silent when it comes to what he was would do to help the, the people out of his district. So we need to we need to come together and get real results. Um, you know, my wife uh, lost her job because of the pandemic uh, back in back in March. Uh, it was a part-time position, but we still we still uh, you know we counted on that on on, on her income uh, to be able to provide for our family, and, and and it took her about four or five months 
uh, before she saw anything in uh, in terms of unemployment in the uh, uh, from from the state of the state of California. And I could only imagine if she had been a single parent. I mean, which what she what should he you know what what she had done and during that time. So we need to do more uh, because this has gone on longer than we all expected, and that means. Uh, there are people that are at, have been out of work longer and therefore uh, are having a hard time paying their bills, keeping a roof over the head and the food on the table. The government needs to do more and the people should demand more uh, from the representatives during this time. But what does more mean to you? Does that mean, um, you know, more money to HUD for, for subsidized housing? Does that mean a new federal policy around uh, securing housing for people who are unstable right now? Absolutely. Whatever we can do um, during this time to, to make sure that people aren't being evicted from their homes and people actually have money in their pockets to, to pay for their bills. The state of California, I believe, just gave the city of Fresno uh, over a million dollars to you know renovate a old uh, restaurant slash hotel area uh, for for homeless housing that, you know, we can do similar things on the on the federal level to help uh, you know, cities and, and, and counties and, and other municipalities uh, handle the the homeless issue, uh, especially during uh, this time. But, you know, most importantly, we need to make sure that nobody is losing uh, ha- their housing uh, because of this pandemic, which uh, in, in the very end, it looks like could have been avoided. Um, finally, I want to talk about something you raised uh, early on, which is the environment. Uh, mm-hmm. Notorious air quality problems in the Central yeah. Valley. Uh, it's also a political problem because a lot of that pollution is coming from uh, pretty wealthy political interests, uh, growers, dairy operations, oil extraction operations, and sprawling development. Like, w- What would be your environmental agenda in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, we have terrible air quality here in the Central Valley. And, and I know, like I said before, I grew up here in the Valley with asthma. And now my son is, is growing up uh, with the same issue as well. My wife um, also has, um, you know, asthmatic uh, situations from time to time. And it, this is the worst I've seen it. And especially this summer with the wildfires, that didn't help at all. Uh, I, can, I can't remember a time where for two months when I was growing up that we had this issue where we couldn't go outside uh, for, for almost two months because the air quality was so bad. I applaud California and what they're doing, uh, the aggressive steps that they've taken to lower emissions. Uh, you know, Governor Newsom's call for, uh, you know, ending the sale of, 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 of uh, you know, uh, gas-powered vehicles by 2035, I believe it was. Uh, California has always been a leader. It's time for the United States to, you know, get back into the Paris Climate Accord uh, agreements and and uh, start working on this problem uh, of climate change, which we know is real. It's not a hoax, like you know my opponent thinks it is, and the president uh, thinks it is. It's time to listen to the scientists and the experts uh, surrounding it and getting policy that not only cleans up the air here in the Central Valley and lowers emissions uh, to net zero, uh, but also brings good-paying jobs. Uh, that are going to be, uh, you know, green green technology jobs that will help out the uh, the people of the Central Valley when it comes to, uh, you know, lifting themselves out of par- poverty and into the middle class. All right. Uh, Phil Arbio, we're going to have to leave it there because the time has arrived. I want to thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, we hope everyone uh, 
you know, uh, looks out for us on election night. Probably won't be over that night. <laughs> Probably take a couple of weeks after. Uh, but we could really use everyone's uh, help and support to get over this finish line here at the end. Well, California, we take our time counting, uh, but we count a lot of ballots. <laughs> Phil Arbio is the Democratic candidate for California's 22nd Congressional District. That is the seat in Fresno and Tulare counties currently held by Republican Devin Nunes. And uh, I'll repeat, uh, we did reach out in the interest and fairness to the Nunes campaign uh, to offer him an interview as well. And they have not taken us up on it. That does it for today's California ballot breakdown. Big thanks to Corinne Smith, who produces these segments. Uh, We're going to be back to live debates tomorrow. We'll be taking up Proposition 22, a major intervention into labor law by some of the biggest app-based platform companies in the world. Uh, We'll have that debate live right after 8.30 headlines on Upfront. You can tune in at kpfa.org. All of our election segments, the debates, the candidate interviews, the reported pieces also go into this podcast feed. Uh, You can make sure you don't miss any by going to kpfa.org, looking for California ballot breakdown, hitting that subscribe button. Remember, in California, their vote matters even more down the ballot.